Well, I, I just want to say I am so thankful. You know, as we were a couple Fridays ago celebrating our 40th anniversary and honoring just John and Judy, I was thinking back on how grateful I was for the people in my life who had demonstrated to me the love of God. And how faithful God was to bring into my life people who really personified his love. And one of those people I was thinking of, and I've mentioned him before, but one of our founding pastors, Pastor Doug Ruthford, was a man of love. And uh, he would... He would just love on you no matter what. And he was prophetic, so it wasn't that he, wasn't, he was blind to your faults or shortcomings, but he, but he had the love of God. And I can remember walking in so many mo- mornings, you know, probably being dragged to church. Anyone, anyone been on that, the drug church? Yeah. Uh, dragged to church. In, in those not-so-good seasons in my life, and walking in, and there would be Pastor Doug just with open arms and full of love and just welcoming me and knowing, knowing that he knew <laughs> the reality of my life. Because at that point in my life, I was living two lives. Anyone have been there before? Yes. And, but he would love me through it. And so there were so many along the way who demonstrated to me God's love. And because of that, it paved a way in my life. Eventually, it took God a lot of work, but to win over my heart to him. And to make a way for his love in my, my life and to transform my life. And I know we can all this morning probably think of people in your life who, who've been instrumental in showing you and demonstrating to you the real love of God. And so I, as, as we uh, as are going to February, there's a couple of reasons this morning I want to speak on God's kind of love. And, and that's really the only way I could describe it. How many know it's indescribable in some ways? You try to describe God's love with words and it's so limited and so really doesn't describe it. You really need to experience God's love. We really need to experience it in a powerful way and, and keep on experiencing the love of God to grow and abound in the love of God. But um, over the last year as a part of this transition, we took some time with the elders and the leaders to pray and to really gather and say, hey, what are some core values? You know, what are some things that you, you would, how you would describe our church and our culture and who we are as a church? And um, there was a number of things that came out. The one thing that was consistent in all of, all of the inputs from everybody in that leadership team was, hey, we're a church who loves people. And we want to be a church who loves people. We want people to walk through those doors and experience and know the love of God. So if you're here this morning, I hope that's what your experience is in this house because that's our heart. That you would experience and know the love of God deeply. And we captured that value in this simple phrase, in all things, love. In all things, love. It's our, it's our priority. It's the basis of all things. And uh, that we do, and it's our motive for all that we do in ministry. It's all that we do in relationships. But uh, this morning, I just want to share some things on it and on that. And I think if you're going to talk about culture in the church, you probably have to talk about the culture we're in, the counterculture <laughs> uh, it, that we want to create in the church is counter to what the world's culture is. And I was thinking about some things that define how people are relating to each other. And we have some new phrases in our culture today. How many know this? Cancel culture. Cancel culture. 
And I looked up this term and it means when something is canceled, it is nulled, ended, voided, done, over, no longer wanted, like a TV show or a subscription. This sense of cancel is the basic idea behind the slang meaning of canceling a person. Anybody been canceled before? I have, yeah. Um, When a person is canceled, they are no longer supported publicly. And we're seeing just this over and over again. People who will say something or do something that is not PC, or they say something that offends somebody. How many know there's pretty much nothing you can say today that won't offend somebody? And so they get canceled because they've offended somebody or some group or some movement. They say something, and, and many times they eat their own because they didn't say it right, and they're canceled. And so we see this happening. It says, usually public figures are said to be canceled after it has been discovered that they have done something offensive. It involves calling out the bad behavior, boycotting their work, such as not watching their movies or listening to their music and trying to take away their public platform and power. This is often done in a performative way on social media. And it, it, it's pretty amazing how quickly somebody can be canceled who was popular yesterday. There was a story of a, a writer who, and she worked for some major magazine, I don't remember all the particulars, but she wrote on, you know, trends socially and things like that. And uh, she posted on social media, some, she was on her way to fly to Africa. And she posted on social media somewhere about what she was doing and the way she posted it was misinterpreted completely misinterpreted so she posts this thing on social media i don't remember what specifically she said uh, but it was interpreted as being racist or something which it wasn't intended to be Uh, she gets on the plane it's a long flight and by the time she lands and she turns her phone back on again she's got voicemails from her boss She's got, her social media has been completely blasted with all these statements and, you know, against her and ridiculing her and telling her she's a terrible person. And she's like, what just happened? And before she knows it, she listens to one of those voicemails and she's already been fired. Be canceled like that during a flight because she wrote the wrong thing or it was misinterpreted. So this is the culture we're in. A culture that's quick to cancel, a culture that's quick to just do away with somebody who doesn't talk the talk that, or, or, or believe the same beliefs. And so I have a feeling us in the church aren't going to be too popular in this culture. Come on, somebody. The other term is doxing. By the way of name dropping is document dropping. It's publicly exposing someone's real name or address on the internet who has taken pains to keep them secret. And this has happened to people, again, if they get canceled, then they get doxxed. So, another term I'm going to give you that I'm learning, ghosting. When a person cuts off all communication with their friends or the person they're dating with zero warning or notice beforehand, you'll mostly see them avoiding friends' phone calls, social media, and avoiding them in public. Have you ever been ghosted? You didn't even know you were ghosted. Now you do. All right. Can I just say God gets ghosted all the time? Yeah, we need to be holy ghosted. Come on. 
You know, and uh, I'm just going to say, as pastors, sometimes we get ghosted. Here's why, and you know why, come on. You had a bad week or things are not going well. You don't want to see pastor. We know this reality. You think your secret's out. I'm avoiding pastor. I did not have a good week. Man, come to us. We have bad weeks too. We understand. Come on. We're here for you. Don't ghost your pastor. All right. So just some terms, some vocabulary for you this morning. <laughs> but uh, the reality of the culture that we're living in, these are the times we're living in, and I believe God wants to increase the culture of love in his church. But look at Matthew 24, 12. We'll start there. It says, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Anyone had some difficult times? lately for men will be lovers of self lovers of money boastful arrogant revilers disobedient to parents ungrateful unholy unloving irreconcilable malicious gossips without self-control brutal haters of good treacherous reckless conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of god holding to a form of godliness Although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. So I think two things we know that are increasing in our world now and that we can relate to this passage, it's lawlessness is increasing. Difficult times are increasing. And he, the warning here that we need to heed is that if we're not careful, our love will grow cold. This is a warning that if we're not careful, our love for God, our holy, passionate zeal for the things of God will quickly grow cold if we aren't mindful of three other loves mentioned here. Love of self, love of money, and love of pleasure. For those of us who were here Friday night, George spoke on our appetites. And what truly is our appetite for the presence of God? Do we really desire with all our heart? Or are there other things that take precedence in our life? And that for revival and a true transforma transformative revival to happen in our lives and our community, it really takes us getting honest about the priorities and our appetites. And so these things are three things that compete with those. Love of self, man, we just, that's easy, right? We all struggle with that. Putting self first. Love of money. We see that in our world today, and it easily entices, entices, entices people in the church when we get the wrong view of prosperity and, and the way sometimes it's preached and, and understood in the church leads to that problem. But love of pleasure. I mean, all these things can just choke the love of God in our hearts and begin to cause our love for God, our love for people to grow cold. So it's important as believers that we cultivate the right appetites in our life. 
Uh, being in the presence of God, being with God's people, being in his word, spending time with the Lord, and really increasing that desire and that appetite for his presence, amen, in our lives, day, day in and day out. But this morning, I want to go to really the, the core passage that I want to focus on this morning is out of John 13, because I believe now more than ever, it is important for us to grow in the love of God. And that means our revelation of God's love for us is increasing, which results in his love in us flowing towards others and increasing. I'm going to say that again. When God's revelation of his love for us increases, his love through us to others increases. How many know you can't give away what you first don't receive? We need to receive the love of God, and that's something, that's something that... Uh, really takes an understanding of who God is and his character, his nature. So in John 13, 34, Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you. Somebody say new this morning. That you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And so you have to ask the question, he says, it's new. Why is it new? To these disciples, their understanding of Scripture. They had read the Old Testament. They knew what the Lord had spoken in several contexts of of interactions with people as they were following him. That the two greatest commandments were to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. But this is new because he says, even as I have loved you. Not as you've loved yourself, but as I have loved you. And this is following him, demonstrating it by washing their feet. By showing them the Son of God getting down, putting this drape on, and getting down and washing their feet. He demonstrates to them, he says, even as I have loved you. And at that moment, they had a limited revelation of God's love. Because it's before the cross. It's before Pentecost. Little did they know how great this love was. He was preparing them. But he was saying, when you get a full revelation, even as I have loved you, serve one another, love one another in this capacity. It's new. Secondly, he says it's a commandment. Some of you like it. Ooh, commandments. Rules. Right? We brussel at that a little bit. Maybe it's Bristol. Is that the right word? Okay. Um, But a commandment. But if he commands you to do something, that means you can. You can. He's not asking you to do something that's impossible. It's impossible in and of yourself. But it's possible through him. When he's the vine and we are the branches... We got this new picture yesterday we put up on the wall. And the reason, part of the reason we got it was it's, a, it's, a, it's almost like artwork behind glass. It's a picture, but it has this picture of a tree and its branches. And there are many, 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 many branches. And they're layered and layered and layered. And I saw it and I just kept thinking of John 15. You are, I am the vine, you are the branches. And as George shared last week about humility, the humility is recognizing a life as a branch. 
The branch in and of itself doesn't produce anything, especially if it's disconnected from the vine. The life comes from the sap and the life in the vine. So it is with the love of God. As the love of God is in your life, as you are abiding in him and in his love, then it is produced and you can fully fulfill this commandment that God gives us. Amen? I thought you'd get excited about that. But. It's a commandment. It's, a, it's possible. They probably thought at that moment it's impossible. Little did they know the day of Pentecost was coming when they'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, come on, and the power of the Holy Spirit, his life in them. That's why he would say in John 16, it's beneficial that I leave you because I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit. 1 John 5, 1 through 3 says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born is born of God. We have some born-again people this morning. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know the love. We love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Turn to somebody. It's not hard. It's not hard. And it's not hard because it's rooted in him. He's the root. He's the root. Holiness is the fruit. But he's the root. The person of Jesus in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you get this revelation, you don't strive anymore. You believe and you let it flow in you. All, all God needs is your cooperation for his Holy Spirit to work in you these fruits. Amen? Of course it is impossible for you to fulfill this commandment apart from him and from knowing and understanding God's kind of love. And I said it earlier, we can't give what we first haven't received. The Bible says Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, 8, freely receive, you have freely received, now freely give. Freely received, freely give. This is, this is kingdom life. We freely receive, we freely give. And we're receiving his love for us. And as that revelation grows, we have more to give. 1 John 4, 16. We have come to know and have believed the, the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. There is no way for me to possibly comprehensively cover this topic this morning, but I'm going to share some stuff, all right? We'll get you out of here before the Super Bowl. It says, we have come to know. We have come to know. This is through experiencing his love for you. It's not just some concept. How many know in Christianity there's a lot of things that we espouse that we are not experiencing? God wants you to experience it. God wants you to walk in the reality and the experience of his love. But it's a coming to know. It's, it's, it's increasing. It's a lifetime venture to grow in the love of God. Every day he's revealing his love in a greater measure in us. 
and to us. It's not just some concept. John wrote this from a place of experience. Remember, he was the disciple who laid his head on Jesus' chest. He heard the heart beat for the world of the Son of God. He referred to himself as the one who loved Jesus. The one whom Jesus loved, I should say. He had a revelation of Jesus' love for him. An experience. And from that experience, and he writes in 1 John 1, he says, I want to share with you what we've tasted, what we've seen, what we've experienced. Then he goes in John chapter, in chapter 3, he says, See how great the love of the Father is that he's bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Whew. Do you see how great that is? I hope this topic never gets old for you. But in the times we live in, we need a new revelation of his love. We have to acknowledge that this is coming to know. This knowing is growing as our relationship with Christ deepens. All right, so this morning I want, to spare, I want to share with you three aspects of God's kind of love. Look at 1 John 4, 19. We love, we love because he first loved us. He first loved us. He's the initiator. He's the initiator. A.W. Tozer says, I believe it is hard for us to truly believe in the unconditional love of God. It's unconditional. I'm not saying salvation's unconditional. Hear me this morning. I'm saying God's love for you doesn't change. You can't make him love you less. You can't make him love you more. He's determined to love you. And trust me, he's not loving me because I'm lovely. He's loving me because he is love. He is love. Now, he chooses to love us. I don't want to make it sound like it's not a choice. It is a choice. He chooses to set his love upon us. Oh, I hope you get this. All right. Now, understand, why is this hard for us to grasp? Now, we, we get it. I'll say... I'll say God's love for us is unconditional. You're like, amen, brother, amen. But I want to go back to this experiential thing because there's so many places in our life where we don't, where this, it's manifested that we don't truly, fully believe this. Right? Why is it? Because we've grown up in a culture in our life of performance-based rewards. Okay? Now, if anyone has a boss that's different, let me know. I want to go put my application in. But I'm sure your boss did not hire you because he loved you, he or she. They hired you because you had certain skill sets and merit for the job. Right? You didn't get an A because you were lovely. Come on. Some, some students are like, I wish that was the case. <laughs> you didn't get an A for your great personality and who you are. No, you had to earn that. 
So we grow up with this mentality of earning things and working for things and getting promotions and going up the corporate ladder. That's the culture we live in. That's the mindset that we bring sometimes into our relationship with God. And here's how it manifests. <laughs> how it manifests in our prayer life. Come on, somebody. This is, this, this, this is it. When you've been having a good week, stay with me, church. You've been, you, you've been doing your devotionals? Yeah. You've been going to church? You've been reading your Bible faithfully? You're doing all those? These are all great things. Don't hear me. I'm not mocking. But, but then you pray, and you think... Well, my prayer is going to have more efficacy because I've been good. Come on. All I got to do is ask you how your week's been. Right? So many Christians will just respond and they'll go, well, it wasn't so good. I've been, you know, I've been, uh, things, you know. You judge it based on performance, right? And sometimes our prayer place, our relationship to the Lord, we come on the basis of performance. Why aren't you doing this thing, God? I'm doing all my stuff. That is not the basis for our approaching him. It's because of his blood. He's made a way. It's on the basis of his word and his promises. Come on. It's not based on my performance. Now, what does my performance affect? It does affect my heart towards him. It doesn't affect his heart towards me. God's determined to love you even when you're unlovely and a pain. And A.W. Tozer writes this too. He says, Rejoicing in our heart needs to be in what he's done for us, not in what we've done for him. The rejoicing of our heart what he's done for us, not in what we've done for him. We don't bring our resume into the throne room. We don't bring our resume into the throne room. You say, Pastor, I'm not so sure about this. Well, let's read Romans 5.8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. Wait for it. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God's love was flowing towards you when your performance was awful. Did you hear that? You got quiet in here. It was flowing towards you when your performance was awful. When I was off rejecting the call of God, doing my thing, rebelling against God, not wanting to be in church, not wanting to be around God's people, this was a period of my life, God was still loving me. We get this when we're first saved, but somehow we get caught up in religion and start to think that our work for God is somehow going to earn favor with him. Our work for him, our obedience to him is in response to his love. I'm going to say that again. Our work for him, our obedience to him is in response to his love. And let let me tell you something, how this informs our culture as a church. We care more about you than what you do for him, us. You matter more than what you do. And if we ever fail in that, you hit me upside the head, please. That's our heart. You matter. 
Our motive for serving, our motive for obedience is love for him. Not to earn points. Come on, somebody. Everything in this life is earning. All the games we play, you can earn bonuses doing this or that. We think we're going to earn a bonus. Come on. Praise God. We love him. He loves us because he is love. But, but when we get this revelation of God's love for us, it will transform every desire in us. George gave such a great illustration, so I'll reuse it if it's okay. But you remember the first, when you first started dating your spouse-to-be, right? Every waking hour, many times, not much sleep, you just wanted to be with that person every chance, every opportunity. You thought about them all the time. But here's the other part of this. You started, your desires started to change as a result of that relationship, didn't it? You started to care about what they care about. And some of you single folks, you're like, yeah. Boy, my friends got weird when they got in a relationship. <laughs> my bros started watching Hallmark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pastor Sam's been converted. All right. Desires change. Well, when you're in the presence of the Lord and when you get to love him and you know what he loves and he begins to transform our desires. We begin to want what he wants. We begin to desire what he wants. Praise God. All right. First Corinthians 13, four through six. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. I want to look at these things. Number two, his love is unlimited. You see, we're limited, but God is not limited. And the only limit on how God's love flows is in us. Are you with me? There's no shortage of supply. See, when you're talking about human love, you've only got so much. It's finite. You might have some close friends, some family, but, man, I'm out. The supply is exhausted. But when the love of God is in your life, there's no end to the supply. There's a height, there's a depth, there's a width, there's a breadth. Come on, it just extends to all dimensions of your life that's why paul prayed that in, in ephesians 3 that we'd have the revelation of the height the depth the width the breadth of his love and be filled with the fullness that's his love rooted and grounded in his love so all right first john 4 8 one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Understand this. God is not mad at you. Oh, you guys got quiet. 
God's not giving up on you. God's not ghosting you or canceling you. All right, it's football day. It's Super Sunday, so God's not giving you the Heisman on account of your mistakes, shortcomings, and failures. He is patient with you and kind towards you. How patient is he? 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So I want you to look at this passage. We just said God is love. 1 Corinthians 13 says this is what love is. So can we just say this is who God is? It's a description of who he is towards us because for us to understand love towards others, we first have to understand his love towards us, and it's in this passage all packed up. God is not envious towards you in the sense that he's not upset when you are promoted or blessed. God's not threatened by your success. In fact, in Psalm 35, it says he rejoices in the prosperity of his servants. He loves you. He wants you to be successful. Envy put Jesus on the cross. Said he was aware that they handed him over, those rulers and Pharisees, because they were envious of him. Envy put him on the cross. And if you're not careful, envy will destroy you. Secondly, there's eight knots here in this passage. Eight knots. He's not envious. And his love is not parading itself. How many times in Scripture do you see Jesus promoting himself? Zero. Zero. He was there to glorify the Father. That's how he lived. Not to glorify himself. In fact, on multiple occasions, get this, and how opposite is this in the social media church culture? He told people who were healed, don't tell anyone. I've always scratched my head. He didn't parade. It doesn't parade. He didn't do things to be seen by men. In fact, he warned his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, don't do things to be seen by men. You have your reward. We can parade ourselves in church and act like this and then have a total double life. I know because I did it. God knows. He sees. Come on. But he still loves you. God is not prideful or arrogant. That message on humility. Do I need to add much? If you were here last week, (laughs) Jesus humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, demonstrated to his disciple this kind of humility in washing their feet. Number four. God is not rude towards you. Aren't you glad? You guys like being around rude people? He doesn't act unbecomingly towards you. God is a gentleman. He is polite. Do you know that? He's polite. God has manners. You may have grown up with people in your life who treated you rudely, and it would be easy to project that on the Lord if we're not careful. You see, this is, this is what happens. He made us in his image, but we try often to make us him in our image. What do I mean by that? We take our experience with humans and we project on him those behaviors. He's completely different. 
quite often opposite, isn't he? He's not rude. God is not selfish, seeking his own. God so loved the world that he gave. His love compelled him to give his very best to us, his own son who came to seek and to save the lost, to die on a bloody cross on our behalf. God doesn't have a selfish instinct in him. The nature of his love is outward, concerned with our welfare, concerned with our salvation, concerned with our deliverance. Come on, somebody. It's not selfish. It doesn't seek its own, but that's also true of the Lord. God is not provoked. He's gracious. It says he's full of loving kindness, slow to anger. How many are easily provoked? I'm going to put my hand up. You get in traffic. You get behind a slow driver. You get in a long line. What is it that provokes us? He's not like that. He's slow to anger. Again, when we project our human behavior on the divine, it affects how we perceive God's nature. You know, sometimes we've grown up around people in authority who were quick-tempered and easily provoked, and, and it becomes difficult for us to really conceive a God who's not like that, a Father who's not like that. Some of us have grown up in homes where there wasn't a good father figure or example. And so it's hard to relate to a father with these characteristics. But he's a good God. We are limited. This is why he's, it's unlimited. We are limited in our capacity to not be provoked, if we're just honest. But he's not. God is not keeping an account of all your wrongs. In Psalm 103, for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, it says David writes that he has not dealt with us according to our sins. Come on, aren't you glad this morning he has not dealt with us according to our sins? That if he did, we'd have zero hope. He goes on to say, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he taken our sins from us. One other passage says he throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. And so we learn from this. When we get this revelation, then we stop giving an account, keeping an account of everybody else's wrongs around us. Somebody need to clear that account. God is not rejoicing in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. There can be no grace without truth. Are you with me? He is the way, the truth, the life. He revealed, he came to reveal grace and truth in us. Now here's what, where that really plays out. He doesn't let us just live in denial. He loves us enough to speak great truth in love into those areas of our life. Because those areas that he's speaking to are causing us pain or causing us to not really walk in the fullness of who he calls us to be. Amen? All right. Let's read the rest of this, 7 through 8. I mean, how many, how many, we've read this over and over again. Some of you guys have it on your wall. Some of you have it on sticky things that you're memorizing. But we're still trying to get the fullness of the revelation of what's in this passage. It says, he bears, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If knowledge, it will be done away. 
Notice he says all things, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Some of you this morning are like, I wish he would have said most things. <laughs> but he says, bears all things. Do you know that God is bearing with you in all your ups and downs and isn't giving up on you? Aren't you glad? How do I know that? Because he instructs us to bear with one another. Why would he ask us to do something he doesn't do? Colossians 3.13 tells us we need to bear with one another, forgiving, walking in compassion and grace. Amen. Really speaks to God's ability to put up with us. I may not be able to put up with you because their love is limited, but God in his unlimited love for you puts up with you. Thank the Lord. You know, there's people we've, we'll write off, but God is not written off. Come on. As long as there's breath, there's hope. That's God's perspective. As long as there's breath, there's hope. That's God's perspective. Come on. Believes all things. No, God is not gullible. But his love defends his own against the accusations of the enemy. He believes in us. He can believe the best about us because he sees who we can be in Christ. That doesn't mean he doesn't see the stuff. He sees it. But in his love, he's able to see beyond it. Are you with me? And that's how we need to live. See somebody in their faults and their issues and their shortcomings and yet see who God sees them to be. See beyond their faults. Get God's love and his loving perspective on who they really are in Christ. Hopes all things. Did you know that God has hopes for you? You may think you're hopeless and have no future, but God loves, God's love to you says, I have a hope and a future for you. It endures all things. There's no expiration date on God's love. It's not like your milk. God's love is enduring. His loving kindness endures forever, meaning it goes on and on. After everyone else has left you, canceled you, ghosted you, whatever it may be, God is still there for you with his love. Thank God. John 13, 35. I'm almost done. Just another hour. All right. So, John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Woo! This is so powerful when you see the reality and the purpose of what God has here. The world is one because we are one, as in one, oh, one. Zero, I mean, O-N-E, I can't spell. The number one, please. We are one. Three, undeniable. This love is undeniable. The purpose realized in our obedience to this command is that the world takes notice and recognizes it. They see this love we share. And they go, that's different. That's not earthly. That's not normal. Come on. 
They're not canceling one another. They're not ghosting one another, I hope. They are loving each other. F.B. Meyer says this, The one note of the true church is love. When once men of different nationalities and countries behold its manifestation, they do not hesitate to acknowledge the presence of God and to admit that those who are animated by perfect love to him and to one another constitute a unique organization which cannot have originated in the will or intellect of man, but, like the new Jerusalem, must have come out of heaven from God. Whew! So sublime, so transistent, so transcend, transcendent, so unearthly is this love that its presence is significant of the handiwork of God as the fire that burned in the bush indicated that the I am was there. That's how significant this love is. This testimony of our love for one another. When, when we are one anothering, you want an interesting study, go through the New Testament and look up every one another. It's awesome. It's a long study, all right? But here's the testimony from the Apology of Tertullian. In the year AD 197, he wrote this, and he was commending the Christian faith to the pagan world. He was one who had been saved out of paganism. He gave this amazing pagan observation of the Christians in that time. He wrote this. But it is, he talked about all their great deeds, first of all. All they did for those, the poor who needed to be buried, they couldn't afford to bury their own, so the church would pay for them to be buried. Pagans. As an expression of love to the community. They helped the orphans, they helped the widows, they were They were constantly demonstrating the love of God to their community. And he says, all that, then he says, but it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another. I'm going to say it again. See how they love one another. For they themselves are animated by mutual hatred, speaking of the pagans. See, they say about us how they are ready to even die for one another, for they themselves would sooner kill. The contrast of the love that the church has when we walk in this is so dramatic that the world has to take notice and say that's not earthly, that's from heaven. That's not natural, it's supernatural. Because the kind of love I'm describing this morning, it's supernatural. It must be experienced, it must be lived out. They were branded by their love. This was the distinction that set them apart. I believe God wants to establish in us a counterculture centered in his love for one another. While the world is canceling, doxing, ghosting one another for this or that, we the people are to be fervent in our love for one another. 1 Peter 8, 4, 8, and I really am closing in this, promise. It says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Yeah. 
when this love is revealed to us, then it can be revealed through us. Can we stand to our feet this morning? Hallelujah. I want to read to you the words of a famous hymn written in 1917 by Frederick Lehman, The Love of God. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Hmm. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. The refrain says, O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. When hoary times shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall, when men who here refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call, God's love so sure shall still endure, all measureless and strong, redeeming grace to Adam's race, the saints' and angels' song. Could we with ink the oceans fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. I just want to read over you and declare over you Paul's prayer. He writes to the church in Ephesus. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend I want you to see this part with all the saints I read this one time and it popped out with all the saints. You see, you can't fully comprehend the full dimensions of God's love apart from this. With all the saints. And not just this. That. With all the saints. You know how the revelation comes is that you are with all the saints 
And then he says, what is the breadth, the length, the height, and depth? And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. You can't get this in your head, church. It's a revelation to your heart this morning by the Spirit of God to reveal his love. And I believe this is, God has ordained some things this morning because the word came forth that there's broken hearts being healed. And maybe you're somebody this morning who would say, I feel neglected, I feel apart, I feel isolated. And maybe you've even come to believe or doubt God's love for you. That first passage I read, one of the first passages that we would come to believe in God's love for us. That's the starting point. But if we believe the wrong thing about who God is and his nature and his character, then sometimes it messes up how we relate to him. Come on. He's a loving father. He's not like anyone earthly that's been in your life. Maybe some people have demonstrated some of that love, but God wants you to know his love. He wants to give you a revelation in your heart of the true love of God this morning. He loves you deeply and wants you to know his compassion, his grace, his mercy. Father, we thank you this morning. Just lift your hands, church. We thank you this morning for your love that you gave. You so loved us that you gave your only begotten son. Father, this morning, I thank you that by your spirit, you're removing those doubts, those, the confusion about who you are, God, and let the pure love of God would just flow into each and every heart this morning. The revelation of your love would increase, God. That we would know the depth, the height, the breadth, the width of your love. That we would be rooted and grounded in your love. God, we thank you this morning. Thank you for healing broken hearts. Thank you, Lord. for letting your love flow through us. God, if there's in us, Lord, there's been unforgiveness or there's been bitterness or there's been things we've been holding on to, God, we release them right now in Jesus' name. Come on, is there a brother or sister that you've got an offense with? The Lord's just bringing it to your heart right now. Just release that person right now in the name of Jesus. Release that parent who treated you wrong. Release them in Jesus' name. They owe you nothing. Let the love of God just pour and flow into your heart. Release it in Jesus' name. There's wounds so deep, but they're not so deep that the love of God can't reach. Can't reach. He can reach.